0: Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, the brand worn by John McEnroe, Vitas Gerolitis, Novak Djokovic, and Gabriella Sabatini. Check them out at sergiotacchini.com and use the code CRAIG30 in all caps to receive 30% off of your order. Today's guest was born near Frankfurt, Germany, and in 1995 got to 27 in the world. She played in 19 majors and was a member of the German Fed Cup team. She battled depression throughout her pro career, and we discussed it in length. Micah Babel is today's guest. So you're in Denver.
1: Denver, Colorado. Yep. Right in the middle. you're in
0: the mile high city.
1: (laughs) Yes. Not necessarily the hotbed of tennis, but... Well, that's
0: like almost like one of the most difficult things to do is play in altitude.
1: It's it's definitely interesting. I mean, you get used to it, but I can absolutely understand why we don't have any pro tournaments.
0: <laughs> Woman, you hear former world number 27 from Germany. We're going to get into this. Um, I remember you when you came on tour. I felt like you came out with like a lot of fanfare. And it's very difficult to find information about you, I have to say. And yeah, and uh, that's Micah Babel. Thank you.
1: Sure thing. Yeah, I, I think the the getting information is just like I mean, we didn't have social media, and I'm you know, it's a two edged sword. So I'm kind of happy about it. I'm kind of not happy about it. But you had Steffi. I mean, you had Steffi. So Steffi was you know the she soaked up all the attention with, which again was good and kind of. Not so great sometimes.
0: Steffi got Steffi, to, yes, yeah, Steffi went to the moon. You were 27. I mean, that's no joke. So what is it I'm looking at on that left arm? Is that a full sleeve of uh, ink?
1: That is a full sleeve of ink that still, yep, yeah, that still misses the color um, because, yeah, COVID happened and then tattoo parlors had to, yeah, close down. So I still have to fill in the color.
0: Now, what's the story behind, uh, what's the story behind the art?
1: Um, I'm very, very interested in Buddhism. And I think if I'm saying anything, I'm more spiritual. So there's some Buddhist art on there that kind of helps me. I don't think you can see it. No, there's a tiger here and there's uh-huh. a dragon up here.
0: Are you Buddhist?
1: I'm I'm subscribing to the philosophy. Let's put it this way. Um, because it makes the most sense to me of how life unfolds. Um, so, yeah, those mean, things to me, there are certain characteristics that these animals have. And that kind of, you know, every now and then when I'm about to go off on somebody, I go like, all right, patience.
0: <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah,
1: so they're constant reminders.
0: That's very cool. Let's get into it. As you know, I do a five-set format. The first set's the off-the-court report. How has the pandemic and the new Delta and such affected you in Denver, as of the latest news we've been seeing?
1: Uh, we're we're fine. I mean, I'm in an outdoor facility only, which is bizarre if you think about Colorado, what you play tennis outdoors in the winter. But since, you know, it's, tennis is one of the safest sport to play. And, you know, thankfully we have a lot of, uh, you know, smart people that get vaccinated. So it, it's been fine for us.
0: Business as usual. This is the second set. It's the on the court report. I mean, there's so much tennis going on. We're right in the middle of the hard court season. Do you keep your eye on pro tennis?
1: I do. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of watching some. or watching more now because I find it a lot more interesting now than maybe 10, 15 years ago.
0: The players that you know are in the f- sort of front of my mind at the moment. Camilla Georgie just had a big week. Pliskova has been playing well. What have your impressions been of the hard court swing coming out of Wimbledon?
1: I mean, I love that we see new faces or maybe more, you know, familiar faces, but going deeper into draws. And I think that's what makes it more interesting for me to watch because, you know, we've seen, you know, Serena for a million years. And, you know, as much as she's my, you know, an idol of mine, it's so good to see newer players, even Barty Mukova with different play styles. Um, you know, Pliskova finally doing really well.
0: By the way, Mukova just knocked out Andrescu a half hour ago out of Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, there we go.
0: I love the way Mukova plays tennis. I don't know if she's talked about that much. She's got incredible hands.
1: No, I mean, she's, I think, flying or has been flying under the radar. But look at the depths of the Czech players. I mean, you have, you know, five, six, seven players that are in the top, what, 30, 40 or something. And they just kind of you know, handing it off to one another. And I think she's been flying under the radar, especially since she didn't have as great of a junior career, I think, due to uh, injuries.
0: Oh, is that right? Is that why I she... Think,
1: I think so. That's. I think i would read that somewhere that she um, did well, but then had injuries and then just, you know, kind of was a little bit of a late bloomer.
0: You talked a little bit. I was watching you, you know, you caught my eye on social media and on your YouTube channel but you talked about Angie Kerber and is she from where you're from? Is that, would that be fair to say?
1: Fairly close. I mean, she's not, I mean, her hometown is not there. She's actually from Northern Germany, mm-hmm. um, but she trained in Frankfurt a while, I believe. And I think I saw her there training with Andrea Petkovic, God, maybe 10 years ago. Do you, do so you know her? I, I don't know her personally. No. It's funny.
0: I had a chat with Wim Fissett and Wim, you know, was saying he had coached her and they'd had some real success. And he said that she could really crack. And I always kind of felt like she couldn't really hit the ball. But the other night, you know, she absolutely destroyed Sakari. Her tennis is unbelievable when she's playing well.
1: She is. I mean, that and that's the one thing. I mean, 10 years ago when I saw them train, the physicality of it was just unbelievable compared to what, what I used to do. I mean, they basically, and I saw a little bit of the workouts that they did off court. I mean, that would be something that I would have done in the off season as to not mess up my, my tennis basically. And that's what they did on a daily maintenance basically. So she's just, I mean, just amazing physically. And it's just, I guess, the play style that she uh, feels more comfortable with, with being a little bit more of a counter puncher, but she can absolutely hit the, I mean, the socks off the ball.
0: Especially off the backhand side. It yes. does, it's almost like she doesn't miss. And then when she, when she wants to drive the ball, she can really drive it. I mean, you got to think moving into the open that she could be right there depending on the draw. I,
1: I, you, I think you never can count her out. I mean, she is, you know, she's had so many up and downs in her career. And so many people have always like just counted her out. But I don't think you can.
0: It's sort of interesting, too, that she doesn't play well on on clay.
1: <laughs> Which is weird because that's, you know, where we grow up on. But it's just, you know, her strokes are pretty flat, I feel. And, I mean, just her, like, the, the little kneel shot that she does from the baseline is just, yeah, if you can really work her on clay, it's difficult. But any other surface, she's always up, up there.
0: Yeah, it's crazy that she plays well on grass and hard courts, but the clay is not uh, a good surface for her. Yeah, Coco Golf and Naomi Osaka are actually in a third set right now. Do you have any interesting observations on the, either of those players?
1: I'm in awe of both of them um, for different reasons. They're obviously in the in the limelight and in the spotlight. Um, they're carrying so much on their shoulders that they're able to actually play tennis. Is Phenomenal to me. And both of them are handling themselves in such a phenomenal and, and really cool way that I'm just hats off to both.
0: I love the way you coach tennis. I, I Something about how you speak about tennis resonates with me. I like your professional, no-nonsense style. How would you break down Coco Gauff's game and, you know, how she can improve?
1: She has so much room for growth in, in everything. I mean, just... If she, and I'm always, that's the, the, one of the reasons why I didn't like watching tennis a whole lot like 10, 15 years ago because it was just banging from the baseline and that doesn't resonate with my game at all. But she obviously can play doubles really well. She has volleys. I think if she could add that to her physicality, to her athleticism and just coming in more, like I, I find myself sometimes watching her and yelling at the TV, go in, go in, you know? And I think uh-huh. she has somebody on the stretch so that's one
0: but what about her forehand her forehand is a liability
1: was a little wonky i actually saw that match against uh georgie and that was it it almost looked like she had trouble watching the ball properly or it was the light or something because they Uh played a night session Um, she
0: misses her forehand particularly when she's under pressure
1: She's got a pretty big windup, so I think at some point and again, it's the same with with newer players right for a year or two, they're the underdog, they're the hunter now she's being the hunted, and now people have really analyzed her game, so I think Georgie did a really good job there, kind of really exposing them, so that's definitely something that I think she needs to work on
0: what What is your perspective on the Naomi Osaka situation that arose? you know, at the French and then, you know, subsequently, you know, moved all the way through Wimbledon where she chose not to play.
1: Yeah. Um, Having dealt with depression my entire life and basically being on medication and being, you know, seeing therapists and all that, I can only say that is that she dared to say I'm withdrawing because of my mental health and putting my mental health on top of everything else is, the bravest thing because she could have said like, Hey, I tweaked something. I, you know, just to kind of keep that on the down low, but she chose to make that a topic. And I think it's helping so many players because I know, I mean, this, the environment of pro sports, whether it's in tennis or any other sports is absolutely brutal. And for somebody to admit I have something that is not working right now and I need to take a step back to me is absolutely admirable. So I I don't understand anybody who said she quit or suck it up or, you know, you're getting paid millions or something. I mean, I know what depression feels like and, and anxiety, and I cannot imagine to have to go through this with the exposure that she has.
0: Do you recognize that person a little bit when she started to, because what really what happened was, which is what set it off, was she she basically just, you know, the way kids do now, they, she just fired off, a, you know, an Instagram message that she wrote on her phone, said, hey, you know, I'm not going to do press conferences. And then everybody brought a, a, a gun to a knife fight, right?
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't know exactly the background if she sent, you know, like a letter or something before that but I think it's really something that needs to be dealt with because I can guarantee you, she's not the only one. I mean, again, I said, it's such a cutthroat environment. And I mean, look how young, I mean, Coco is 17 and Naomi is how old? 21 still?
0: 22, Um,
1: And if we look and I don't know if, I mean, you're on social media, obviously, but I'm, uh, you know, looking at it from, from the perspective of a former player and if you're looking at some of those Facebook or Instagram comments wow I mean there's literally death threats
0: the nastiness the nastiness
1: no business talking about the level of tennis that we're seeing so uh it's a it's a uncharted territory I think that she's opened up for us and I think she's to be commended for it.
0: Well, that's a good point. Um, A lot of people that don't know what they're looking at are, are criticizing, you know, world-class athletes in a way that is, you know, it's mean and it's nasty and it's uh, unacceptable. And I guess it resonates, you know, you can't, it's not that easy to just move off that.
1: Yeah.
0: Any thoughts about the U S open moving into the, into the tournament?
1: I'm I'm excited for it because I, I don't really see anybody being a clear favorite. I mean, obviously, not obviously, but I do love Ash Barty. Um, just her style and, and just how she handles herself and is always so laid back. And um, But, again, we've seen so many new players. I mean, Prachikova winning the French. Who would have thought that? Plushkova is there. You know, who knows? Naomi might be, you know, coming out there again. So I'm, I'm just really looking forward to it.
0: Now, you know, this is the the on-the-court report that we talk about, you know, the business of tennis. What is your business?
1: Uh, My business right now, I'm still teaching on court. So just, again, in the tennis hotbed of Denver, Colorado. Um, I'm saying that with a little bit of wink. Um, but I'm also doing mental skills coaching. Um, I'm doing more on YouTube now. I'm doing more on Instagram. So that was something that I got into in the in the pandemic, actually.
0: But are you a, are you a high-performance coach? Do you have any good players, or are you kind of out there working with a lot of different people, trying to get I'm them better? I'm
1: working with recreational players only, to be honest, and that's very deliberate um, because as top players, we have some screws loose. <laughs> you have to. A little bit and I've just done it too much and I think I mean Denver is up to a point you can develop juniors here but it's going to be very difficult to, to really have players that then go on and play tour and that's also life that I don't want anymore to be honest.
0: Moving into the third set this is the portion of our show where we talk about your career where does your tennis begin?
1: Where did it begin? Um it began under a birch tree in our local club, so I'm told. Uh both both of my player uh, my parents played. And, and are, pretty you from, high.
0: are you from Frankfurt?
1: I'm from a little town outside of Frankfurt, yeah. Nobody would know that. Dirk Horde would know it. <laughs> um, but yeah, both both of my parents played and you know, just as it was custom back then, it's like, you know, the kids come to the club and um, rumor has it that apparently I stole a racket. I still maintain to this day that I borrowed it, uh, when I was three or four and just started copying the older kids and the older kids played with us. Um, and my first recollection is just being with a bunch of kids and just playing against the wall and, you know, just knocking balls back and forth. So that's what's the
0: name started. of the town? What's the name of the
1: place you're from? Uh, it's not book. You can say it again. Neu-Isenburg. Neu-Isenburg. Excellent, yeah. So I'm putting it on the map now, on the tennis map.
0: Neu-Isenburg. <laughs> Correct, and, yeah. and you fly to Frankfurt Airport to get there? Yes. yeah. Okay. So how did you get good?
1: Um, I didn't in the beginning, to be honest. Uh, my dad is a coach or was a coach. Um, but for the longest time, I really... I was just one of the kids playing and we had a bunch of, of kids that were fairly good, but I never, I mean, I was not one of the kids that was out there for six hours at age eight. Um, I was, you know, I played basketball. I played with my friends. Um, but the, the kudos that I have to give to my dad right from the get go, when I started playing then, or I was in lessons, he gave me fantastic technique. So that I had really, really good strokes. And then once I got a little bit more serious, that was like age 13, 14, which now is like senior age. I leapfrogged a bunch of people.
0: Your father mm-hmm. taught you your technique. Yeah. And you have like, you have very, I've watched you hit on your YouTube channel. You have Fair classic time. technique.
1: Yeah. Back then, 30 years ago, it wasn't classic. Now it is.
0: <laughs> and that's a clean, smooth one-handed backhand and uh, eastern forehand. Yeah, just
1: regular eastern grip. Um, I actually had a two-hander, but then I saw a guy in our club who had a really great forehand, a uh, really great two, uh, one-hander, and I said to my dad, "I want that." And he goes, "Like okay." So that's how that happened.
0: I don't know. And you're, and you can, you've got perfect timing, and and yeah. very clean volleys, and and the whole deal. When did you start really becoming a great player? How did it happen? Did you, did you play international tournaments? Did you go to the Orange Bowl? Did you go to the Pattaya? Did you go to the you know junior Grand Slams? All those things.
1: I I actually didn't. So I started. I guess the first couple of times I was picked from my state federation, actually to go to nationals was for doubles because we had better singles players. Um, And I think the national federation, it it just wasn't as good. I mean, there was Anka was playing, Anka Huber. She dominated already when she was like 10, 11. And I was like, you know, playing in my County or something.
0: So Anka Huber was the big star.
1: She was. Yeah. I mean, I, and when I saw her first time I ever saw her, I was like, wow, I'm light years away from that. Um, I started playing, uh, so I, I completely skipped the whole ITF and stuff, which I think in, in retrospect was better because I know a lot of my peers burned out because they already traveled age 14, 15. I mean, globally. And, so you, and didn't I you didn't do any of
0: that. You weren't like a high-falutin junior with 20 rackets running all around nope. the world. No.
1: No, I was the kid that literally at my first German championships, my coaches had to get me off a of soccer court or a soccer pitch next to the courts because I opted to play soccer with like (laughs) totally random kids and almost got disqualified. So I didn't focus on tennis a whole lot, but then like age 15, 16, all of a sudden my my technique kind of gave me an advantage against kids that had you know, just solidified their groundies before. And that's when I really took off. And I played a lot of adult prize money tournaments at home.
0: You played Bundesliga.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, our regional leagues first, and then we qualified, we, we moved up into Bundesliga in 92, I think. So that's when I played, but, um, yeah, age 16, I think that's when I got really good. I started traveling and played 25s, challengers, all that.
0: Well, I was was looking at just this very, very lightly written Wikipedia and you, you turned (laughs) pro when you were 16.
1: Yeah. And that was, um, that was more out of necessity, sort of, because, um. My principal actually called us in at the end of, uh, you know, at the end of the 10th grade and said like, mm, uh, you know, we can't really grade you anymore because you're never there because we don't have homeschooling before grade uh, 10 in Germany. So we cut a deal with him basically saying, you know, if, if you make it into the top 200 in a year, then you, you know, you, you quit school now, you go and, you know, play full-time. If you get into the top 200, you continue playing. And if you don't, then you can still come back and go into 11th grade. You're just a year behind your peers. And thankfully, I made it. Didn't <laughs> have to go back to school.
0: How old were you and where were you when you cracked the top 100?
1: Yeah, so mostly in Europe. And um, I did, thankfully, really well in some 10s and some 25s. And back then, there weren't just, I mean, I think there were like 800 people ranked when I played. And now I think it's like some 25,000 or uh, 2,500, or I don't know how many there are. Um, so it was a little easier. But I think I was 17 then, a year after, that I made it pretty comfortably in the top 100. And I think the first time um, I was in the top 100 when I qualified for qualies filter stat, you know, back in the day when it was still when it wasn't in Stuttgart, when it was still in Filderstadt. You
0: have got the qualities. When, when do you become a main draw player?
1: Um, I think 93, 93, 90. I mean, 94. 17 years guess, old. Uh, 18.
0: 18 years old. Yeah. Your first major, like when did you become a main draw Wimbledon?
1: I think that might have been also 93, 94. I would actually have to look that up.
0: What was it like for you?
1: Uh, it was, impo- I mean, it was pretty intimidating. Um, I played a couple of junior turns. Played Wimbledon ones. I played French Open ones at juniors.
0: You did, but I had
1: never been at the US Open. Never been at the Australian Open. Um, you know, a little bit of imposter syndrome I do have to admit. All of a sudden, you're like, "Whoa, okay, here's you know, Martina Navratilova walking walking by me. <laughs> yeah, oh wow, sure. I'm you know, half you know, playing on the court next to whoever it was. So it was pretty intimidating.
0: When was the first time you ever saw Steffi Graf?
1: Oh, goodness. Uh, probably at one of the Grand Slams of Berlin or Hamburg or something. But oh, so 94. So you, you,
0: you never saw her in passing during your time being like a German player?
1: No, not really. I mean, obviously really. she, was, she was already, what, number one in the world then? And the goddess, rightfully so, of course. Um, so... Yeah, and then, then we had Anke also um, really playing well, so she was in the top 10, and then I don't know if you remember Sabina Haack. Of course. Um, at that point, she was 18 or something, 18, 19 in the world, and when I had my best ranking, I was basically the fourth-ranked German in the, in the world ranking, so nobody really paid attention as much to me, which is fine.
0: Was there a moment where you said, Oh, you know what? I can be a pro player. I can really like do something special. I mean, you had some very significant wins.
1: Yeah, I I think in, in, I mean, just the, I think the one thing that really gave me confidence in this whole journey was that I moved up steadily and I never really dropped back a whole lot. So you have, sometimes you have players now that are doing really well in one or two tournaments um, but then they can't defend them the next year, which is always the most difficult thing, and then they drop back down to I don't know, 120, 130, and then it gets really, really grueling. Because we
0: just of, saw that happen to uh, Anissa Mova,
1: for instance. Yeah, either due yeah to injuries or you know other extenuating surf, uh, circumstances, and that didn't happen with me, thankfully. Um, so I think that was really steadily steadily i was chipping away and and being close have being in close matches with players that were like 20 30 spots ahead of me so i think that was really confidence building
0: your best moments on tour
1: can i say not necessarily on tour but playing for i mean team tennis bundes league with with my buddies basically with my you know friends together. really And and we played of course
0: it sounds like you didn't necessarily love being a pro tennis player
1: I have my struggles with it to be perfectly yeah. honest yeah. i mean if i'm you know we we talked about it earlier the
0: well you mentioned that you that you battled depression um what's the what's the story behind the genesis of that
1: well the the thing is you know you're sixteen 16, 17, 18. and back then you didn't have skype, you didn't have zoom you didn't i mean I remember we't have, we have phones we't have phones. Yeah, you had phones, but then it was a dollar. It was like $3.40 for a minute
0: from the <laughs> right, the home. Right, you get a $4,000 um, phone bill.
1: Yeah. So I remember it, it a big deal when we faxed, you know, yeah. my mom faxed me like, you know, every morning and to Australia so that I would wake up with the the fax, you know, um, but you're alone. And when you're not one of these top players, you know, that now have a trainer with them. They have a sports psychologist with them, which is absolutely necessary, I think. Uh, You know, they have a hitting partner. So they have their own little family that travels with them. But you're in Bumble F somewhere, and nobody speaks your language. Um, Nobody really tries to help you, because at the end of the day, we're all competitors. It gets really, really lonely. And I did struggle with that because... Quite honestly, I'm a total herd animal. Like I would have much been much happier in a team sport, to be honest. And that's why I did really well in, in Bundesliga, because it was my my friends that I saw day in, day out, and it was awesome.
0: You know, Tim Mayotte shared some of the same things with me on my show of uh, that you're saying that. It was a lonely place. The locker room was tense. McEnroe and Lendl, like really, and Connors <laughs> really made it like a kind of a shitty place to be. And he and he 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 had his struggles. It sounds like that was the case for you too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no talking about. I'm around it. Um, it got better the older I got. I mean, you mature and you find other ways to. Uh, you know, to deal with it. But again, you're 17, 18, 19. And back then I I didn't know that what I had was depression. I only got diagnosed with it after I played because somebody else was really smart and said like, Hey, you know, (laughs) what you're experiencing looks like, you know, depression. You want to go talk to somebody. I'm like, Oh, okay.
0: Can you explain a little bit about what you were like 17, 18, 19? Like what, what was, what kind of behavior did you display that you know was symptomatic of yeah. of depression
1: so one thing that um when you're that physically active it gets masked pretty well so like when you know you usual i don't want to say normal people but people that don't necessarily are world class athletes and are as physically active they might experience it as i don't want to get out of bed i'm you know i feel like i'm I mean, I felt sometimes like I was underwater, and I still played, and I don't know how I did that, um, but your mind goes very negative very quickly, and I know that everybody who remembers me from back then might now go like, oh, yeah, I remember that. She was pretty negative. Um, so those were the things, I think, just being uh, withdrawn, kind of thinking, oh, it's my fault, or I'm there's something wrong with me, uh, which is just when you... Now that we're talking more about, and that's why I'm so, so, so grateful to to Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles and everybody who's starting to speak up about this, because I know what it's like. And I think this is something now that when there's younger players or anybody, just anybody, doesn't matter if they're athletes or, you know, just people like, oh, wow, this, this, everybody can experience that. And it's not anything wrong with you. So, but then when you're 17, 18, and back then it was like stigmatized out of the wazoo so I'm like,
0: eh. right, it's like go play
1: yeah I mean suck it up and
0: go play you're a pro athlete go go play out of
1: it why don't you stay positive Micah uh- and
0: that's and that's not the way and that's <laughs> not the way it works
1: that's really not the way it works no I wish but yeah
0: you also mentioned and you know and I was doing my research that you can no longer serve did injuries uh impact your career
1: Yeah, the weird thing is I recently actually moved and and went through stuff, and at some point I had printed out my playing records, and you see these long, huge gaps uh, from July 95 to uh, end of 96. I didn't play at all, so I was out for over 12 months because of shoulder injuries. I had three surgeries. You did? then? Yeah, then another one a year out. Um, Four
0: shoulder surgeries.
1: Yeah, so that's you know, and then coming back then, and then you're starting to get more. I, I think I was just on the cusp when all of a sudden, Chanda Rubin shows up, and Kim Kleisters, and Lindsey Davenport, and everybody's starting to hit the ever loving Jesus out of the ball. Huh. You know, and here I am, typical clay <laughs> quarter, trying to roll the back of the ball back in, and it just got so physical that I couldn't keep up. I mean, I couldn't make up um, the time basically that, that I missed. And, uh, yeah, shoulder issues are just always a super pain in the honey or the shoulder. So yeah, that was the reason why I had to retire or at some point, it just didn't make sense to, to keep trying.
0: For surgeries. That's no joke. No, it wasn't really fun. <laughs> you have a very insignificant uh, German accent. You've somehow, I think you've been here a long time. It seems like to me. So you retired. Around two thousand, what happened to you next
1: well I, I always and my family uh, always had valued education, so at once I dropped out of school, I continued what what now is online learning? You can do that then from tenth grade on, so I did get my um, my high school diploma while I was traveling because that was one way then also to keep my mind occupied because it can be really dull and boring um and then friends of mine had studied here in the U.S. and I wanted to stay in tennis and in Germany you don't have collegiate athletics however you have free education so trade-off um but I wanted to stay in tennis and then they just said like hey you could be you know coaching college and going to school at the same time and you know go to university and so I just randomly uh you know I, I did my research academically Good schools and fired off some emails, and the head coach at Tulane was like, "Hey, you now can you start in August, and I'm like, sure." And came here with two literally two duffel bags and fell in love with coaching. And twenty years, literally, exactly twenty years later, here I am. But I, How, I can give you some charming accent if I wanted to, but I'm I, choosing not to.
0: <laughs> you can, huh? You can just flip like that.
1: I I would be very unhappy with myself if I had to listen to myself speak with a heavy German accent
0: (laughs) no when you told me that you were from where Dirk Hordor is from I mean his English is such it's he speaks with such a thick German accent when you didn't have one at all I was like oh I wonder how she lost that so you were in New Orleans
1: I was in New Orleans for two years, then I transferred to uh, Nashville, Tennessee, to Vanderbilt.
0: Yeah, why did you change from Tulane to Vandy?
1: Um, We played Vanderbilt, um, and we were basically the warmer-upper for them for the season because they had just won national, or or were runner-up, I think, um, Mm. in the finals. And I just loved Coach McDonald. I saw how he interacted with the girls and how, or young women, I should say, super respectful, super uh, just a fantastic human being. And I talked to him a little bit and kind of wanted to pick his brain. And, and, you know, one thing that really stuck with me was, you know, what I'm doing is like, it's 10% tennis, 90% is caring about the person. And that is exactly how I would have loved to be coached. And then it so happened that his assistant resigned. He called me and that's, you know, the rest is history, as I say.
0: I'm sorry, and who's this coach? Uh, coach McDonald.
1: Yeah, coach Jeff McDonald. He's been there forever and he's he's just an incredible human being and and phenomenal tennis coach.
0: Jeff McDonald, longtime yeah. Vandy women's coach. Yeah. And they've been uh, yeah. they've been a real deal program for a really long time.
1: Yeah, and he did – I mean, we, we talked so many times. I mean, we, we did – I think we did a really good job, or he did a really good job, and now Aliki is uh, the head coach there, developing players, but it was never really just about developing players. It was, you know, helping young people really see who they are, what they can be, and, and you know, just supporting them on their, on their journey, whatever they wanted to do.
0: That's interesting. You're a real believer in college tennis.
1: I love college tennis. I mean, and that was one of the funniest things that uh, Jeff said at some point. He said, Babs, I think you would have been a phenomenal tennis player and you would have, uh, or a phenomenal college player because you are such a team player. Right. And the only thing that would have driven me nuts, he said, is when people, I'm very German with being on time and being, you know, doing everything in a very regimented way. He probably would have, you know, he was right when he said, like, you would have hated some parts of it. But just being in a team and having so many opportunities to play Right? I mean, they play however many matches a year. Um, and I think we're seeing so many college players, uh Danielle Collins just now or Jenny Brady. just unbelievable college players, and you can make it.
0: Danielle Collins won uh twelve matches in a row, won yep. tournaments on two different continents, and you know, brings that feisty college tennis style to yep. the pro ranks. That's very interesting though. It's like you hit the peak of tennis, you got to 27 in the world. You were a fed cupper for for your country, but yet you struggled on the pro tour mentally, physically, yeah. you blew your shoulder out, right? For all intents and purposes. And then you folded right into the college tennis scene for the majority of your adult life.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great, it, what I loved about it is that you have somebody for four years. So you can really, I mean, we had a, I was there for exactly four years and then, then I got sick of the traveling and do have to admit, because I've done that for the better part of, of, you know, my adult life already, but I had one, two players from being a junior and then, you know, graduating and then you're getting so invested and now you're following them, what they do in their adult life. And you have these memories that I think are just such a phenomenal part of your life that, it's it's a cool thing. I mean, I would just hands down recommend that to everybody. Play college, do it.
0: Sounds like you need to get your own team. Sounds like you need to. Are you in line for a college uh, job? No.
1: No. I and it, at the end of the day, I'm really happy now that I'm I'm settled. I'm in one place. Um, what the I tra- did. Oh, like the
0: traveling was exhausting.
1: Yeah, especially now with with COVID, and I mean, I can't imagine what they're doing day in day out, and then. Airports and whatnot, so that that got old really quickly. So, if if I could be a you know maybe an assistant coach or something, and then the pay would also have to be a little bit better.
0: Volunteer assistant, <laughs> Michael Babel. Wow, what a story!
1: It's definitely interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. What's the moral of the story?
1: Moral of the story is that I didn't know what the heck I was doing when I turned pro. Um, also, didn't know what the heck I was doing when I just said like, all right, I'm going to leave Germany and um i'm going to make a life here but what i've learned really is that through tennis i've learned so many life skills it doesn't really matter what life throws at me i can i can deal with it so that's i think what i've learned from this so far
0: what's interesting about your coaching methods and style why should somebody subscribe to your youtube page and what what can a player learn from you that's interesting
1: um i'm not a BSer. i don't know if i can say the proper word are you going to bleed me out then um i'll be fairly straightforward Um, one thing that i'm noticing is that my videos are a lot shorter than most everybody else's which doesn't help me with the algorithm but i just don't like talking around the same thing Uh, you get the information take it if you don't understand it i'll find another way because i do recognize that everybody learns differently Um, and that to me is the fun part to find the yeah the way how do I need to communicate with you that it is that it resonates with you and that you at your level can implement it. And whether that's pro or college or recreational level doesn't really matter to me. I I just love working with people who love to learn.
0: And the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Your parents started you and now you're 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 working with players. That's cool. Let's move into the fourth set. This is the 10-ball scramble. I just say it, and you say what comes in your mind.
1: Oh, goodness. Okay. Uh,
0: your, favorite, your favorite forehand?
1: Uh, Ash Barty's.
0: Your favorite backhand? Mine. Really? He loves her backhand. That's cool. Uh, your favorite serve?
1: Ooh, Ash Barty. Sorry, just love how she plays.
0: And favorite volleys?
1: Martina Navratilova.
0: Your biggest pet peeve in pro tennis?
1: Uh, it seems to me like we want to work on how you properly do a fist. The women, they do it kind of weird sometimes, and it drives me nuts. It's like if you were to hit something, you would break your wrist that way. So do a fist. Oh, that's too long. Okay, good. I'll teach people how to make a proper fist.
0: Just, uh, just a fist pump. You there don't like are, the yeah. fist pump.
1: Yeah, got to work on that. Your
0: biggest pet peeve in college tennis
1: cheating
0: what's the my next question was going to be cheating in college tennis what is the how out of control is that situation and what do you what what could you tell me about that
1: well one of the things I mean with recruiting is what I'm referring to um I knew pro players that had gotten money against the rules back in the day And they showed up playing everywhere. And here we are with like 17-year-old Americans who, for the most part, are pretty sheltered human beings, um, play against a seasoned 21-year-old who was 200 in the world at some point. And, yeah, you think about the rest.
0: Cheating and recruiting. What about cheating on the court? Is that an out-of-control problem?
1: Uh, I haven't necessarily followed it anymore. It was when we played. Um, but you have to deal with it. It's the same as if you go to, you know, some kind of small level tournament somewhere and you know they're trying to really, you know, mess with you.
0: Is there a remedy for this?
1: Uh better shot selection, better margins. Don't let it get to you. Learn from it. See that it's an honor almost. If they can't beat you in any other way, they have to resort to cheating.
0: Your favorite player of all time.
1: Steffi Graf, Serena, and Serena Williams.
0: Steffi and Serena. Yep. Your, how important was uh, was Steffi to you in your career? Um. Did those great German players, Becker, Stich Steffi, impact you?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because that was, I mean, we had watched tennis before that, but now you could see them almost, I don't want to say every week, but they were so successful that you did see them almost every week. Um, and it was just, yeah, if they can do it, you can do it. I mean, maybe not at that level, but yeah.
0: And I don't know if the people, you know, a lot of my listeners are in the United States. I've got listeners all over the world, but most of my listeners are, are in America. These were big, big stars. I mean, they yeah. don't get much bigger. There's, you know, Carl yeah. Heinz Ruminiger and Garrett Muller. And then these, some of these tennis players are as big as they come.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're still god's goddesses i think and I, I think i understand why steffi kind of leads a more quieter life because yeah i mean just seeing the and, and it's gotten way 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 worse you know with more social media and stuff so those were still the quiet times i think
0: your favorite tournament of all time
1: uh australian open
0: a lot of people say that your favorite city
1: frankfurt er- <laughs> My whole body, theoretically.
0: The best advice you ever got on the court.
1: Um, don't give them the same same ball twice, and that was my game really. Mix it up. Just mix it up. Everybody was such big hitters when I played. I mean, not necessarily in the beginning, but if you give them the same ball twice, most likely it was game over. And with you know the variety that I had in strokes, I just needed to mess with them a little bit more because I, I didn't necessarily have a strength or a weapon. Let's put it this way or have.
0: Let's move into our fifth and final set. This is the queen of the court. If there was an opportunity to make a change in tennis with just a swing of the racket, you were the queen. What would it be?
1: Oh goodness. Um...
0: I have a feeling you've got some significant opinions that you share. When you talk with other people about it.
1: Opportunities for women to play. Um, if you look at the, um, the tournament schedules, it's gotten better. It's gotten better. But if you look at it each week throughout the year, let's say non-COVID environment, uh, men have so many more opportunities to play. Um, there's like three, four challengers each week. I mean, if you're a play court player, you can play clay court all year round. Um, women have a bunch of 15s and and 25s now, but to me, the gap, the 60, the 75,100, they're just not there. And that's to me, a significant step that that needs to be remedied and just playing opportunities for women in general. And then on the tourist stand, i mean, still pay, you know, pay quality is not there.
0: Micah Babel, I enjoyed every second of this. You know, I had a feeling you were going to have an interesting story just from, I don't know, just kind of hearing you talk and and, and whatnot on, you know, I found your Instagram and then I went to your YouTube. Why don't you just tell our listeners where they find you? Like I said, I, I recommend it highly. I feel like your match analysis and the stroke analysis and the different things you do is very very cool i like it a lot
1: awesome um well first of all thanks for having me Greg. this is really a fantastic opportunity for me uh youtube is just micah battle coaching and on instagram it's just at micah battle
0: and that's m-e-i-k-e and babel b-a-b-e-l correct that's good stuff listen Can't thank you enough. Um, I appreciate you talking so earnestly about depression. And, you know, I think a lot of us don't have a great picture of, you know, what somebody, like you said, who could be making that kind of money, that kind of life could have any issues, but that really isn't the case, is it?
1: Um, not, not really. No. I mean, un, unless you've played at a certain high level, you have no idea what that life is like and the demands that they have. I mean, just do everybody that I, I recommend go to a higher ranked player who loses unexpectedly and then go to the feeds on Instagram, Twitter, and just read the comments. Then you know what they have to go through.
0: that's a whole nother that's a whole nother episode of this show i'm gonna leave it there micah babble you are released
1: thank you so much craig
0: huge thank you to micah babble and thank you to sergio tacchini see them at sergio and use my code craig30 in all caps at checkout to receive 30 percent off of your order Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.